Good morning, church. I was down here turning around. I didn't see most of y'all turning around. It's okay to dance a little bit in church, even here at WFR, huh? Come on. Uh, This morning we're continuing our sermon series called In God We Trust. And I just want to remind you that sometimes life can be difficult. Sometimes life can be tough. If you got a PID, you need to write down the name of the Lykov family, L-Y-K-O-V. This would be a really interesting study for you to do. The Lykov family fled Russian persecution for their Christian Orthodox faith in 1936. They, in fear for their lives, fled into the taiga, which is a forest in northern Russia. They weren't found until 42 years later. Listen to this. When a group of Siberian researchers found them conducting research in that area of the forest, the family had successfully made it 160 miles away from the nearest point of human contact. Let me read you some facts about this family really quickly. Their son, Dmitri, was born while they were in exile. When he reached adulthood, the family trapped their first animals, finally adding protein to their diet. Dimitri built up astonishing endurance and could hunt barefoot in winter, sometimes returning to the hut after several days, having slept in the open in 40 degrees of frost with a young elk slung across his shoulders. And I know when I I read that, a lot of you are thinking, that sounds a lot like me, Uh, which it did me too. The family recalled a hard frost in 1961 in the month of June. The frost killed everything growing in the family garden. And by spring, the family had been reduced to eating shoes and bark. Life can get tough. Akalina, the matriarch and mother of the family, chose to see her children fed. And that year, she ended up passing away of starvation. The rest of the family were saved by what they regarded as a miracle. In the middle of their pea patch, a single grain of rye sprouted. The Lykovs put up a fence around the chute and guarded it zealously night and day to keep out mice and squirrels. At harvest time, that solitary spike yielded 18 different grains. And from this, they painstakingly rebuilt their rye crop. This level of difficulty is hard for us to get in touch with and even imagine. But in the midst of difficulty, God can still and does still, present tense, guide his people. This is the summary of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I want to give you this text. I'm I'm actually going to start quoting from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, but I've got Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6 on your screen. Listen to this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and here's our focus for this morning, he shall direct your paths. I want to make the case for you first that God still leads his people. And when God leads his people, the next thing I want to communicate to you is that God leads along the right path. If you're following the leadership of God in your life, you can be certain that you're following the right path. The straight path. 
And not only does God lead his people, and when he leads, not only does he lead them along the right path, but God also leads his people along a clear path. So in your life, you have got to let God lead. In the book of Exodus, we get our first really clear representation of the way God leads his people. This is Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. I'm going to speed through these next few scriptures really quickly, so hang with me. Okay, the Bible says this. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of uh, fire by night left its place from in front of the people. There was a time in history where God led his people by a physical manifestation of his presence. Later on in the scriptures in the book of Isaiah, God's people are being persecuted. And through the prophet Isaiah, God reminds them that he leads them and can lead them and will still lead them. Isaiah 48, 17 The Bible says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you, listen to this, who directs you in the way you should go. Now in the New Testament, we get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the world and some unique things start happening. Some men start to carry the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to areas that have never, had never heard the good news. We get one of these stories about a group of men carrying the gospel to a new place in Acts chapter 16. Now listen to what is described by the writer of Acts, the man who writes it's a physician named Luke, in terms of how these men who were taking the gospel to the world figured out which way they should go. This is Acts 16 Verses 6 through 9. Let me read this to you. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept, listen to this, having been kept from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Think about that for a second. Paul and his traveling companions had the opportunity to carry the gospel throughout a nation or, or continent that had never heard the news of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit kept these individuals from going there. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to go. Two places they had decided to try and travel, each place they were turned away from by the Spirit of God. Verse 8, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we, now Luke referring to himself as part of the traveling companions, we got up ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Here's what they did. They concluded that God himself had called us to preach the gospel to them. Ladies and gentlemen, God does still today Lead and guide his people. Can I, can I hear an amen on that? God still leads his people and God still guides his people. But I want to further assert that when God leads his people, he leads his people along the right path. That's exactly what we read in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6, the straight path. Okay? 
God leads his people still today, and when he does, he leads them along the right path. Now, when we start talking about the way God leads his people, usually the languaging we start to use is God's will. The path that God leads us down in our life is the will God intends for us to live out in our life. And Jesus absolutely understood that God had a plan or will for his life, okay? Let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 4 and verse 34. Jesus said, my food, the thing that sustains me, the thing that keeps me going, the thing that gives me purpose, the thing I keep coming back to, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Not only was Jesus aware there was something he needed to do, but he called it work that Jesus also was aware he needed to bring to the point of completion. So to this point, lots of us would say, hey, dude, that might be true, but Jesus was this really like exceptional dude. And I would say, yeah, that's true. Our Lord Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, and we can't always extrapolate. Here's what I'm meaning. We can't always take exactly what happens for Jesus and say, there's an example, that's how it should happen in the lives of every Christian, in the life of every Christian from that point forward. But other statements Jesus makes help inform us about what God's plan or will or path is for us in life. Let's go to John 7, 17, a few chapters later in the Gospel of John, and let's listen to what Jesus says to us about God's will or God's plan. You ready? In John chapter 7 and verse 17, Jesus is teaching here and he says this, and this is generally to you and to me. He says, anyone who chooses, say, say chooses, ready? Anyone who chooses, so this is really significant. It's, it's going to open up the next part of our discussion today. Anyone who chooses to do what? The will of God will find out whether or not my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So now we see Jesus saying, I know God's will. To me, God's will is food. I will finish the work God's laid out for me to do. Jesus views God's will as his work and something that Jesus is designed to bring to a point of completion. Okay? And so we're trying to figure out exactly what that means for us. And a few chapters later in the book of John, Jesus refers in general to individuals who would follow after God. And he says, you have a choice to make. And you can choose to do the will of the Lord. And if you'll do, you'll find out my teachings are self-evident and they'll manifest themselves as true in your life time and time and time again. Or you can choose not to. And so when we get to this point in Scripture, we we start asking these tough questions of ourselves. And I'm going to disclose some of my personal view on this, so buckle your seatbelt. And I'm going to take you through what I think theologically is appropriate here. But we start asking ourselves like, oh man, dude. The will of God, like, like, does God care what socks I got on today? Which I just want to say, my sock game is strong this morning, okay? <laughs> like, does God care where I go out to eat after church? Does he really mind what music I'm listening to? What about the movies I want to watch? Or how about the super sweet blazer that I want to wear today? Like, does God really care about all that stuff? Is, is that like God's will or plan? Let me just say this. I think the question is flawed. Because God's care for you is about his love for you. And I want you to know that God cares about every single thing you do because he loves you that much. Okay? And I think there are some specific things that God intends for you and for me to do. But before we can answer specific questions about our socks, for example, I want to take a step back and I want to answer some general 
questions about God's will in the life of the Christian. Okay, are you ready? So this is about God generally expecting you and me to do certain things. The first text I want to bring to your mind is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul, a guy who had really significantly experienced the leadership of God through the Holy Spirit in his life. Okay? And to the church in Ephesus, he says, you guys were created for a purpose, for a path set on a course. Created in Christ Jesus to do something. A lot of something. To continue doing something. To do good works. So part of God's general will for you is to do good works. Say that with me. Good works. So when we get up in the morning and we're trying to figure out, all right, God, what's your will for my life? Like, what do I need to be doing to really follow along the path that you're leading me down? We need to be informed that generally God's will for us is to do good works. Okay? So anything that's not a good work, we can exclude from being part of God's will in our life. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians now. I want to go to chapter 4. And in verse 3, the Apostle Paul gives us another general statement. Now, there are a lot of statements I could have pointed to. These are only two for the sake of time that I wanted to give you that talk about the reality that God has a will and a plan for you and your life. And then we're going to answer some specific things. And I'm going to show you how we're going to answer something specific with this text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul unapologetically, very candidly and very clearly says, It is God's will. That something happened in your life. The Apostle Paul would actually say it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Now this is a general statement. We're supposed to do good works and we're supposed to be sanctified. Later on in Thessalonians, we're supposed to rejoice always. Okay, There's some other areas where we hear of God's will for the human being. But, but what we need to do then is practically, pragmatically say, okay, if this is your general will, God, then specifically, what movie should I watch later today? And we get the key to figuring that out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. God's will is for you to be sanctified. Okay, Trent, that sounds good, but what should I do in my sex life? Like, what does being sanctified mean for me in my sex life? That's a specific area. And what we see based on God's general will that you get sanctified is that his will for your sexuality is that you flee from or avoid any type of sexual immorality. That's his will for your sexuality. So let's razor sharp, get even more specific. What about the movie I want to go watch later today? What's God's will in terms of whether or not I go see that movie? Question, does the movie have sexually immoral content? If the movie has sexually immoral content, then the question answers itself. You shouldn't go. Because God's general will is for you to do specific things that lead to your sanctification. And if watching a movie with sexually explicit content leads to sexual immorality or exposes you to sexual immorality, the question answers its own self. Now, I could, I could preach and teach on generals and specifics of God's will for way longer than you have time for today, okay? My, my, my qualification in this message is that God does lead his people and that God leads his people along the right path. I wanted to just give you a little bit of that so that you could start thinking on those terms. 
Now, the question is, how does that happen? What are those mechanics? Well, one of those mechanisms we're already using, and that's God giving us clarity through his word. Okay, what I've just read to you are two verses of scripture that indicate God has a path, which we're interpreting at the moment as God's will, and that his path is revealed to us in his word. Let's go to Psalm 19, 105. The Bible says this. I'm reading from the KJV. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Raise your hand if you've ever driven at night. Okay? That's most of us in here. All right? I've driven at night too, and there is this unique invention that we've uh, developed to facilitate our ability to drive at night. It's called headlights. Now, the way that headlights work, when I leave my home in Monroe, Louisiana, and set out for my hometown of Wichita, Kansas, and I flip the headlights on, they don't illuminate the entire way. But what they do illuminate is just enough of, of, of the journey for me to take the next right step. When we're, when we're seeking to hear from God, and when we want God to communicate with us clearly on His will for our lives... The first area I encourage you to look, that I look my own self, is in God's Word. The reformer Martin Luther would say it like this, If any man wants to hear God speak, let that man read the Holy Scripture. If any man wants to hear God speak, let that man read the Holy Scriptures. So when we're, we're, when we're wanting to hear from God, and I'm telling you, God does lead his people. He's been doing it from Exodus at least to the book of Acts and beyond. Okay? And that God leads his people along the right path. That God will also make that path clear and straight first through your study of God's word. But there's a second undeniable component to this, and that is the spirit of God. God leads you by His Spirit. I want to go to Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to go later on in the book of Acts, but I want to give you two examples of how God gives clarity through the Spirit. Then I want to share with you one of my own experiences. Okay? In Acts chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, while Peter was still thinking about a vision he received, listen to what happens to him spiritually. The Spirit, uh uh-oh, this is kind of a dirty word here, said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Let's look later on in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 22. Now again, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he's recording a speech that Paul has given here in Acts 20 and 22. I already gave you Acts 16. Just nod your head and be like, dude, I was paying attention when you gave Acts 16. Okay, Acts 16 prevented him from going into Asia, prevented him from going into northern Europe. He goes to Macedonia because he has that vision and ends up concluding that's where we're supposed to go. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, uh, uh, Paul says, Hey guys, right now I'm being compelled. And I'm being compelled by a supernatural force called the Spirit. And I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me. The book of Acts in chapter 10, the Spirit speaking to Peter. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul records that the Spirit compelled him. And the Spirit warned him. 
Now, there are some uh, uh, approaches to understanding this text where it's like God still speaks in an audible voice today in the same way he spoke to Peter and to Paul, etc., etc. And so those individuals who would disagree with that can unfortunately go so far into the other direction that we feel lost in the life that we're living because it feels like God is no longer communicating to his people through his spirit. That's not true. God is communicating to us through his spirit. God does intend to lead you through his spirit. Now, what does that look like in your life? Let me give you an example. Ten years ago, almost to the month, my bride and I were nearing the end of me finishing my graduate degree in uh, my selected field of study. And I was working at night while I was going to school during the day. It was a job that wasn't going to last. I needed a new uh, opportunity for employment. Now I had all the student loan debt, and the biggest kicker was we had two children under the age of 18 months at this moment in time. So to say we were at, like, total critical mass in my family would be an understatement. We were extremely overwhelmed. And we weren't taking anything off the table. I was a trained marriage and family therapist, had thought about ministry, had thought about counseling, had thought about going back to study medicine, because I'm thinking doctors are the only guys that really make enough money to support a family of four that can eat like I can eat. So my wife and I entered into one of the most significant seasons of seeking after God's will in the history of our almost 11-year marriage. We prayed together all the time throughout the day. I confessed sin to her, like lustful sin, jealousy sin, uh, even behavioral stuff, lies and times I cheated, just totally confessing, not wanting anything to hinder God being able to really attune me to his spirit and lead me. She was doing the same thing, man. We were praying together, fasting together. We were singing um, praise music together, just the two of us. And if angels heard it, they were sobbing. And it wasn't like a rejoicing, like, oh, God, this is so incredible. It was like, oh, dear God, you know, this is terrible. Uh, But, man, we, we wanted to hear from God. And this was a huge decision for us. Like, we needed to hear. So I'm sitting down at my my computer to write a research paper, and she takes the kids to a play date to kind of let me focus in. And I got distracted in the middle of that moment by, by where I needed to go. And I interpreted that as God ministering to my spirit. And so I kind of tried to listen a little bit and discern, and I logged on to ULM's website, University of Louisiana at Monroe, which is interesting for two reasons. First, the one place my wife said she would never be willing to go is Louisiana. And the second reason is the only place I agreed with her we would never ever end up is Louisiana. But of the like 10 places we were considering, it was one among a number. What was really also unique is that all graduate programs offered during this specific time of year, the application deadline for admission into those programs had closed. So no program in the country would have admitted a student who applied at that date for that current year's admission cycle. I knew all of this stuff, and I'm just praying, and I'm begging God, lead me, show me the way, communicate to me clearly which pathway I should take. And I felt moved to fill out the application. So I'm filling out the application, and as I'm filling it out, I'm feeling more confident, like what harm really can there be in just applying? Right? Like, no harm, no foul. But the catch was, at the end of the application, there was a $20 application fee. 
I, I honest, as God is my witness, we probably had less than $100 to our name at this moment in time. And so that was a moment of truth for me that was really difficult. And I prayed and I still had a sense of peace and confidence. I put in my credit card information and I clicked submit. And a wave of shame and humiliation washed over my entire body. You thought I was going to say peace and joy, didn't you? (laughs) So I go out on my front porch just feeling completely down in the dumps. And I waited for my wife to get. I could not have written another word on that research paper if you'd have paid me to write. And I needed the money. And my wife drove up and she could see that I was down and out. And she said, babe... You're supposed to be in there writing. Like, are you okay? And I was like, I just, I can't figure out how to even put words to what I'm about to tell you, but I got to tell you something. And, and she's like, she gets it. My wife really does get it. I, lots of women will be like, oh my gosh, tell me. Like, I can't believe what in the world. And she was like, just John Wayne level of cool. <laughs> and she was like, babe, before you tell me, I just want to tell you that on the drive home, with the kids, when they fell asleep and I was listening to some praise music and just asking God to lead us, I felt like you needed to apply to ULM. And I was like, praise God, because I just applied. <laughs> and it cost $20. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. no so, so here, here's what I want to say, man. Here's what I wanted to challenge you guys with. Uh, I, I felt like in preparation for this, God wanted me to disclose some of the ways that God has led me. Okay? That's been one of the most significant and most clear. Because it's confirmed to me by Kirsten. It's confirmed in, and it's confirmed in the way the journey unfolds. Every possible door that could have been opened on our way down here didn't just open like a little crack. Like it flung wide open. And we don't have time for all those stories today. But that's what it's like living in God's will. Okay? And you can know that. You can know that. I left out an ingredient. Those three ingredients on a clear path. The first one is getting in God's word. Luther was right, dude. The man who wants to hear God speak should read the Holy Scriptures. Absolutely. But God also leads through His Spirit, I'm going to use the word speaking, nobody throw a tomato, speaking to our hearts. Not necessarily in an audible voice, but just giving us some clarity. Okay? And you can have that too. God also makes our pathway clear, gives us clarity through prayer. Okay, I want to read you a story from Genesis 24. Abraham is old, which he's like old in almost all the stories we have of him in the scriptures. He has a kid when he's old. He does all this cool stuff. Like we want to age like Abraham, okay? Abraham's got a servant that he needs to find a wife for his son, Isaac. The servant ends up finding a stellar bride named Rebekah. But the issue is how in the world do I find this person, okay? And so... Abraham says, go back to the, the, the land of my origin, and God will lead you to her. <laughs> all right, dude. Of the, all the women there, I'll just wait on God to lead me to her. Got it. Here I go. So he goes to a watering hole, and then to discern what God wants him to do, he prays. And that's the third necessary ingredient, God's word, God's spirit, and prayer. He prays and he says, Lord God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master, Abraham. 
See, I'm standing beside the spring as if God didn't already know. And the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let that be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. When we read something this specific in scripture, us human beings are prone to drawing more from this story than is actually there. Here's what I think that looks like. Okay, Lord, I need a job. I'm going to just start going in every business that I pass on the road. And the first person to comment, Trent, that's a nice blazer you got on. I'll know for sure that's the person I'm supposed to apply to. But what, what, what we are supposed to do from a story like this is understand that prayer is an essential quality in discerning God's pathway for us. What God does when this servant prays is exactly what the servant asks God to do. And when you pray, friends, in the name of Jesus, you are invoking the most powerful name in the universe to the being who created everything in it. And if you'll do that, God will be moved by your prayers. I don't have time to teach on that right now. Just take my word for it. Uh, James Dobson once was asked, Dr. Dobson, how, how do you... How do you personally hear from the Lord? And I wanted, I wanted to verbatim quote what James Dobson said. And this is how I think it plays out in our lives. Okay? Pull that James Dobson quote up. He would say this. When I need to hear from God, I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, I need to know what you want me to do. And I'm listening. Please speak to me through my friends, books, magazines I pick up and read, and also through circumstances. There's, don't you wish it was like sexier than that? You know what I'm saying? Like if you fast for 27 days and memorize the book of Romans and contribute 90% of your income that fiscal year to God, then he'll mystically, you know... But it's not that because we serve a God who's very personal, who's very personal, and who wants to lead you. But to get this kind of, of, of a relationship with God established, where God can kind of communicate to you through friends and books you read and magazines and circumstances, you really have to be an individual who trusts in the Lord with all of your heart. And in your daily life, you cannot lean on your own understanding if you want a relationship with God like this. And in all your ways, not just some, but in all your ways, you have to acknowledge God. Then you get the guarantee. A God who directs your path. Can I make a case that this is why the United States of America has gotten off course? We decided to trust in our own selves more than a God who is sovereign that created the universe. And we've looked to our own understanding to solve the problems of sin and sickness in the world. And we've decided to acknowledge our own selves in all our ways. That kind of a lifestyle leads to sin. And when we're in the middle of sin, all of a sudden we want to say, God, where are you? Please direct my paths. I need to hear from you. And we hear nothing. Because we haven't been doing what's required of us. 
If our nation's going to be established by leadership in the White House, that first has to start with the transformation of the leadership in your own house. My challenge to you is that you'll really be willing to put to practice some of what we've said in this sermon series. And I want to challenge you guys, if you seek after the Lord and trust in Him with all your heart and and lean no longer on your own understanding and on all your ways if you'll acknowledge Him, He will direct your paths. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much that you are a personal and loving God who wants to guide your people. And God, if we're not hearing from you, then in the name of Jesus, allow us to step up in our Christian lives and develop the kind of relationship with you where we can sense your leadership in our lives very clearly. God, I know that some people here are in the middle of a really difficult journey and they really, really need to hear from you. And you've demonstrated clearly in your word today to each of us how we can experience that leadership and guidance. Some are in such a desperate place that they need to come forward. Others might need healing. Others just may have a a request or a burden on their mind. I pray that any who have a need today will be compelled by you to come forward and let us as a church just love on them as they're desperately trying to discern your guidance in their lives. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.